Welcome to Australian Hiker, your online hiking resource. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 117 of the Australian Hiker podcast. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about our upcoming long distance trip for the year. And that's on the human hovel track, following in the footsteps of the explorers. In today's episode, we're going to be providing a bit of history of the human hovel trip, um, some logistical um, information about the track itself. uh, And we're going to talk specifically about our upcoming trip, and what we're expecting to get out of it. We hope you enjoy. So just before we get started, um, we'll have a look at, well, firstly, why it's called Human Hovel Track. Uh, the, the main reason is Hamilton Hume and William Hovel were the two explorers that in 1824 uh, set off from Yass in New South Wales on the west side of the Great Dividing Range, uh, heading south, uh, originally planning to get to Port Phillip. Um, they ended up in Corio Bay, which is where the current site of Geelong is. So uh, we're not going to be doing the whole trip, um, but certainly um, as far as Albury, uh, which is about 400 and 26 26, uh, kilometres. So uh, they headed off uh, around September, October um, in 1824. And uh, Hamilton Hume was, uh, he he was actually someone who was born in um, Australia um, and had a very strong reputation for uh, bushcraft and understanding the ways of the Australian Bush. Uh, he had been doing that from uh, a very young age, and his family had um, a, a land holding near Appen, I think it was. Um, and also, uh, as he got older, he ended up with um, additional land in the Yass area. And William Hovell was actually a uh, naval officer uh, by training. Uh, by all accounts, he was very good at uh, navigation. And uh, the two of them got together um, at the request of the current governor in 1820-something, 1824, and um, they decided that they would head uh, south and essentially uh, discover what what was there? I think um, from what I can uh, tell uh, from things like uh, the accounts uh, that are held in the State Library of New South Wales, um, in Trove, uh, which is a holding of the National Library of Australia, as well as having a look at uh, some of the journals um, of the time, uh, there wasn't a lot south of Yass at the time and so there was a lot of um, exploration for 
discovery of farming land, but also in particular, uh, you have to remember that in those days, seaports were the big thing and uh, there was a lot of uh, exploration to discover the next big river because, you know, you need to be able to sail your boat up a river apparently. <laughs> so it was a different time. Um, it's a really interesting one to have a look at some of the history here because, uh, you know, by all accounts, uh, Hume, who was uh, a little bit younger than um, Hovel, um, was pretty much the driver of the success of the uh, expedition. Um, as I said, Hovel was very good at navigating, but uh, Hume definitely uh, knew his way around the bush. Um, and it's really interesting to see some of the, the journals where there's some uh, subtle references to the parties going separate ways. Um, I think that's code for the fact that they couldn't agree uh, to go one way, so they decided to go two different ways. And uh, there's some accounts where Hovel came back to uh, where Hume was because he realised uh, he was wrong. <laughs> I'm sure we've all had that experience. So it's a really interesting uh, story. Um, I did say to Tim that, uh, you know, I was I was quite keen to do one of these uh, exploratory uh, trips, uh, hikes or following the footsteps, but I didn't want to do one where People had died along the way, and and uh, I don't believe that that was the case. Um, I think they might have lost a few cows and a couple of dogs, but uh, that was probably it. Okay, now let's talk a bit about the track itself. So the idea of a walking track that followed the route of the 1824 Human Hovel Expedition arose in the Wagga office uh, of, the of the then Department of Lands in the late 1970s. Uh, and at, this was the stage, and in fact, this would have been one of the really early long-distance trips yeah. at that point. It took a number of years before the, the proposed track was actually um, uh, uh, opened. Um, uh, and in fact, it wasn't until November 1988 in the bicentenary year uh, when money was being dished out to doing all sorts of infrastructure and, and recreational activities that this track actually managed to come to fruition. At that stage, the proposed track was to go from, and you'll have to forgive my pronunciation here, Woolabadilla, uh, which was Hume's outstation near Gunning, uh, and also the starting point for the expedition, uh, and finish at the hovel tree at the banks of the Murray River at Albury. Uh, so this, was around, this, this wasn't the completion of their trip, but it was the, the end point, and also marked the, the state line as well. Due to various construction difficulties, uh, shortage of funds, um, the track was built from Wee Jasper uh, to Wollongama uh, on the Hume Highway. Uh, at this stage, when it was opened, it was only 316 kilometres long. Since then, the track has been extended uh, to, uh, to, to go from Yass, which is the northern trailhead, uh, and Albury uh, at the south on the Vic on the New South Wales Victorian border, uh, and as Jill said, for a total distance of four hundred and twenty six kilometres. I think the thing that I'd probably say about this uh, uh, this track is it's probably one of Australia's lesser known long distance tracks. People know the Bibbulmun, they know the Hyson, they know Lara Pinto and the Overland Track, um, they know the Australian Alps Walking Track. Um, but as far as a long-distance uh, uh, hike is concerned, if you name 
someone who's not an, a real enthusiast, it's probably not a track that's going to uh, come to mind. What I'm finding really funny is that um, I have to clarify and um, make it clear for people that I'm not going to be walking down the Hume Highway. <laughs> I, just, I don't know why that's that's kind of the first question people ask. It's like, oh, that's a weird walk, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but I think I think the thing is that part of the reason uh, for this track being not as well known is for logistical issues associated with it, and I'll talk about those in a few minutes' time. This track has a total of 17 campsites along the way, uh, and in most cases these really are just shelters over a table. They're not actually uh, camping structures like you'd expect on a number of trails like the, uh, uh, like the Bibbleman track. Um, or the Overland track. Um, they are in the process of uh, upgrading the track, and this will take a number of years, and putting some sleeping shelters in there, but this is not going to happen in a hurry. Uh, there's numerous boardwalks, three major bridge bridges over a significant rivers, and in total there's 100 bridges in total, and a lot of these are fairly small ones over uh, uh, small creeks and, and things that really aren't accessible any other way. The track does receive um, regular maintenance. However, like a lot of the, um, the these sort of trails, it tends to be in the warmer months of the year. So coming out of wintertime, uh, there's an expectation there's going to be a lot of uh, uh, tree fall on the trails and you have to work your way around uh, uh, some of these areas. Um, it was something that I expect on the Australian Alps walking track and some of the more treed areas uh, and something which I, I, I certainly came across on the Bibbulin track last year as well. Now, the track was designed to follow Human Hovel's uh, trip as far as possible. Um, and in most cases, it's uh, less than five kilometres from where the, where the explorers actually uh, trod. Uh, and a num number of places, it's on the actual route itself. Um, and in this case, where that does match up, the guides and the map that are available for this, uh, this trip do describe what you're actually seeing and what Human Hovel actually saw themselves. The, um, the trip, um, to a great extent, um, is on forestry trail uh, and fire service roads, uh, and also half the track is on constructed foot tracks. So in an effort to minimise the costs, they try to minimise the amount of physical track they had to generate. Uh, and again, this is another um, infrastructure plan in the process, uh, where they're trying to minimise the amount of um, uh, forestry trails and fire trails that you're actually walking along. Um, so I think one thing I probably would say about this uh, this track, it's not a wilderness trail. Um, yeah, it's it's probably more a historic trail. Um, you're going through farmland, you're going through some natural bushland, uh, you're going through forestry trail, uh, you are going through some uh, a number of national parks, um, but it's not going to be the sort of thing where you know, you're in the middle of, the, of nowhere for a multi-week period. So the thing that's interesting me most about this is that, you know, that mix of experience uh, that we're going to have. Um, you know, Tim, you were saying that it was um, management road, it was fire trail, it was uh, rural land, um, it was native park. Um, the thing that interests me and and while I'm and why I'm delving into the uh, the journals of 
human hovel uh, that uh, were written as part of their trip in 1824 um, is to be able to recognise um, what they saw versus what we're now seeing, having, you know, a, an appreciation of the impact uh, that we've had, but also I think, um, y- you know, getting a sense of may- maybe there are some places where we haven't had an impact. The track itself is marked by um, a logo, and if you go to the uh, uh, have a look at the show notes, uh, we've used the uh, the trail logo as as a cover shot for this podcast, um, and it's designed to in the in the form of two stylized human figures that represent human hovel. I must admit, I see this and think all I can think of is is two pensioners going for a walk. <laughs> I was just going to say that. I, I think they try hard, but you know, I don't know. I don't think I don't think they were that old when they did this, but yeah. But the photos that you see of them, they're pretty old. But I think that's kind of, that's probably post post exploration. Yeah, I think as I said, you know, this was one of the first trails designed in Australia, and you know, whereas a lot of trails. Uh, Lara Pent is a good example here. They just use blue arrows. Uh, in this case, they've tried to be artistic. And, you know, for something that was uh, uh, opened in 1988, it was probably a pretty good logo at the time. But uh, I must admit, I just I just have a, have to have a, a <laughs> bit of a laugh when I see the logo. So, well, we shouldn't say that. They put a lot of effort and a lot of heart into this, Tim. <laughs> but, but they are recognisable, and I think that's the main thing, that the these logos are, are, are present where changes in direction occur. Um, uh, and there are also some uh, interpretive signage when there's something of historical significance or interest along the trail as well. There are actually GPX files which you can download off the Human Hovel website, and we'll put the link to that website on the show notes. Uh, There is also a series of maps uh, which uh, uh, go through and provide, they're done in sections, um, that uh, provide you the information that you need to get uh, from one section to the other. One thing that is a bit different uh, uh, from when Human Hovel did their trip uh, in 1824 is there's now uh, a number of dams in the way. Um, so we're actually going to be starting at Yes, uh, the northern end, uh, and within three days we come across Baranjak Dam, um, and we will be getting a boat across the dam, which is part of the uh, the trip itself. Mm. It's either that or swim um, or walk around, 25 yeah, k's. Yeah, and, that, and then you can actually decide to do this by walking around the dam itself, but you really need to decide that from day one. You can't get into a day and a half in and think, oh, look, I've changed my mind. You're going to end up having to backtrack. So if you go through and have a look at the maps that, that come with the, the, the map kit, uh, there is the alternative walking route that takes you around Baranjuk Dam itself. Uh, but in that case, um, you know, it's going to be a slightly different trip. Mm. And that gets us into some of the logistics of this trip as well. Yeah, so logistics-wise, as I said, 426 kilometres. We've decided to do this in 19 days, uh, which averages us around about 22 kilometres a day. Um, Our shortest day, which is actually uh, uh, the second day of the trip, is about 8 kilometres. The longest day is around about 32, 33 kilometres. But as I said, we'll average around about 22 kilometres overall. Uh, So... Not a overly strenuous sort of trip as such, uh, but certainly a fairly constant uh, sort of pace all the way through. 
The biggest decision for us about deciding whether to go north and whether to go south, Jill, Jill wanted to go south mainly from a historic perspective that you know we're following more closely in the, the footsteps of Hume and Hovel. Um, uh, for me, I always tend to like walking home. So had I that's been... uphill. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so you know, from my perspective, had I been doing this solo, I probably would have done it the other way. Uh, but that's just purely a personal preference. One of the issues for us is we're doing we're starting this walk on Saturday, the 31st of August, um, and we are uh, the boat uh, operator. Uh, who runs the boat across Barranjuk Dam uh, is just coming back from holidays uh, and certainly timing wise normally he runs the boats only a couple of days a week a week so it just made sense that we could get there on a specific day whereas coming south if we're going faster or slower we'd have to be thinking about when we get to Barranjuk and when we contact uh, to get the boat trip across the dam heading up Barranjuk rather than down. So it just made things a bit easier heading from uh, um, yes, uh, heading south. Now I mentioned before uh, that this uh, track is probably not as well known, and that's because of logistical issues. And really, with this uh, the track, it starts in yes, or uh, and finishes in Albury, or the other way around. There is only one other town stop, if you like. Uh, and that's We Jasper, which is not a particularly big town. It's not a not a major town at all. <laughs> I um, guess it's a town. <laughs> it is. So, uh, but yeah, you know, as far as a resupply town or anything else like that, um, really, there's not a lot of options. So, what people tend to do on this trip is they cache food, um, and what that means for people that don't know is you put your food into a sealed plastic container so the animals don't get at it. You wander off into the bush at one or 200 metres and hide your uh, container of food that's well-labelled and well-marked so people know who it belongs to and when they expect people to come through and collect it. Uh, and you need to come through and find it on the way back through. So before the, we actually commence walking, we actually need to do a drive down and do two food caches. Um, and we are doing two food drops, uh, and I pretty much decided where that's going to be. Um, uh, we might not share that we at might this not, minute. We might not share that until after <laughs> the trip. Um, so it's it's the sort of thing that uh, for a lot of hikers, you know, if you go through the Bimelin track like I did last year, you went through a number of towns. Uh, uh, resupply was relatively easy. Um, it made things, you know, you were going through at least every seven days, if not less than that. You were going through a, a town and able to get food as you went. In this case, you have to factor that in uh, and work out how long it's going to take you to get it to a particular location uh, and place the food where you think it needs to be. Yeah, I guess there were di different uh, logistical things with Bibbleman. Um, so the post packs that are sent over, there was a timing issue in terms of, um, you know, how long it would take them to get there um, in time for Tim to pick them up. Um, and not be, you know, sitting around for weeks on end. Um, and then good old Australia Post, um, the cost of getting them there was almost passed out the first time. I think, think I, uh, uh, did it the slow route the second time because it was just outrageously expensive. So, uh, yeah, our local post office did pretty well out of that trip, I think. So 
as I said, you know, if it's logistically, it's a bit harder for most people. Um, and my plan is next year that I'm actually going to be doing the Australian Alps walking track. And it's going to be a similar sort of situation where you need to cache food. Um, and this, I suppose, is a, a bit of a practice run for that one because this trip's actually a slightly shorter trip. Um, the other thing with this trip as well is we'll be spending two nights in uh, the caravan parks, uh, one towards the southern end of the track in the last few days uh, and one at Burrenjuk uh, the day before we cross Burrenjuk Dam. But otherwise, we're going to be tenting it the entire way. Um, there is the possibility to walk off track to some towns, but you know, in most cases, the distance required... I would prefer to stay in a tent than walk an extra 10 kilometres each way to get back on the track and back again. And I think that's what most people tend to do. Um, Temperature-wise, um, uh, taking the extremes in the middle of winter, you can get down to as low as minus 10 degrees, which means potentially you can end up with snow during the really cold months. But that's an extreme. Um, and you can also end up getting as high as sort of mid-20s uh, in the middle of winter. But again, the opposite, that's the extreme. So for us traveling in September, uh, we're expecting the temperatures to be around about, down to about zero degrees to two degrees at nighttime. Uh, daytime, sort of that 15 to 17, 18 degree, which is a, it was quite a nice temperature for walking. Um now, there was a couple of reasons that I wanted to do the track at this time of the year. One, it's outside school holidays, so it means there's less people uh, taking up infrastructure. Yeah, I'm not so sure we're going to meet too many people on the way, Tim, but <laughs> Well, we, we, we do know from talking to people on uh, some of the social media blogs that there is at least one other group that will be out on, on the track at the same time as we will. Whether we come across them, I don't know. Um, if they're following behind us or ahead of us, we may not see them. If they're coming the other direction, we'll certainly come across them yeah. at some point. So um, say hello to us if you happen to be out on the track at that time. Um, so temperature-wise, we'll be geared for that. Um, uh, from what I can understand, doing the research, there's a reasonable phone signal about every two to three days. Um, now, having said that, phone signal and internet signal are two separate things. Uh, just like the other trips we've done, I do plan on um, posting um, podcasts as we go. Um, but my scheduling of releasing late Tuesday night, early Wednesday mornings may change. Uh, I'll need to post whenever I know I can get signals. And if it's a day early or a day late, uh, keep that in mind. Uh, so certainly um, uh, our first podcast uh, on the trail is likely to be uh, on uh, the Tuesday rather than the Wednesday uh, because that's when I know we can get internet signal. Uh, the day after or day after that, uh, maybe not the case. One of the other logistical issues from my perspective is because we've really only got those two times, uh, one virtually three days in and one sort of two to three days before the end of the trip where we get access to uh, a PowerPoint, um, it means that we're going to have to carry enough battery backup um, for pretty much around about, um, uh, I think it's around about 13 or 14 days. So... I've got a an industrial strength battery pack, 
which I'll be taking with me. Which you can um, carry. Which you, I can carry, You can yeah. have the weight of that. Um, Good on you. My smaller one, which I took last year, which lasted me eight days quite comfortably, only, you know, weighed just under 200 grams. The one I'm looking at this year is closer to sort of five to 600 grams. Uh, but... That's what I need to do if I'm going to be running uh, an iPad, uh, a GPS, uh, I'm running um, uh, headlamps, I'm running cameras and everything else that needs recharging through that period. Mm. So it's uh, it's a I'm pretty sure that the pack I've chosen will suit very well. Uh, and I'm hoping to be carrying a small solar charging panel as well just to help top that up, top that up as I go. But I'll uh, uh, I've still yet to confirm that. One of the things I um, uh, just need to point out that um, because we'll be doing our posts, so this is just a bit of pre-warning, our posts using an iPad, um, we do find that when we um, do the internet, write the internet posts and um, publish them via the iPad, we end up with some kind of weird things in the articles. I can't describe it any other way. Um, I know uh, numbers. Yeah, <laughs> Ra- yeah, random numbers appear. So. Yeah, that's right. They're not there, and then suddenly they are, and you try to fix them. You make it worse, and anyway, then you give up. Um, so what happened uh, last time when Tim was away and he was posting using his iPad was that I would go in after he'd published, and I would kind of tidy some things up. Um, we're not going to be able to do that until we get to the end. So. Um, bear with us um, and don't think that, you know, we've uh, gone mad or, you know, just uh, taken some alcohol and, and gotten drunk and done something silly. Um, we, it's just random, okay? So if you, if you see odd things in the middle of text, just have a bit of a chuckle, um, uh, not at us but with us. <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> On our website, we have a section called Journeys, uh, which up until just recently was uh, purely on the Bibbleman track. We've now entered uh, a new section for the Human Hovel track, uh, and we'll be posting um, uh, at weekly uh, intervals up until around about day 14, uh, and then we'll go daily posts. uh, And throughout the trip, providing we have uh, enough data signal to post. We'll be posting it on on a daily basis or as best we can. Um, and again, that's going to be at random times during the day. If we happen to be on a hill and we get a, get an appropriate signal, we'll post. So go through and check on a daily basis to see how we're going. The other thing we'll also be doing, which we did, la- which I did last year in my Bibbleman track hike, um, we'll have a an online map and you can follow us on the trip as well. Um, now, sometimes there's a bit of a lag, so you might not know exactly where we are. Uh, and uh, I know last year there were a couple of occasions when it was pouring with rain and I was in a heavy forest. The satellite just wasn't picking up the signal uh, but did it the next day quite comfortably. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you'll be able to see how our progress is going and see how we're, how we're going for the trip itself. Yeah, that was a bit of a worry that uh, from afternoon one day to about, I think it was about 10 o'clock the next morning, um, Tim hadn't moved. Um, and it was like, mm, yeah, so a bit of a distraction for me. Um, I guess uh, the di- distraction will be for Tim's sister this time round. So <laughs> <laughs> she can experience that one. <laughs> 
All right, so this is just a bit of a, a, an overview of what we're expecting and, and, and a bit about the, tra- uh, the track itself. Um, we hope you're going to look forward to following us uh, on this trip uh, as, as much as we look forward to doing this. So you can, you can hike the track vicariously through us. Uh, and we, as I said, we'll do a full write-up um, at the end of the trip and we'll do daily posts as, as, as regularly as we can. Uh, I'll go through and provide links in our show notes uh, and also on the day we start, I'll provide a series of links where you can follow us along on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram uh, as we travel along on this trip as well. Next week's episode, back to our normal uh, episode, uh, which is Zen and the Art of Hiking. Uh, And this is a bit more of a cerebral view about why we hike and and the things we get out of the hike uh, from a mental uh, standpoint. Um, One other thing I just wanted to let people know as well is we have a series of upcoming interviews over the next few months that we'll be recording. Um, And this is from hikers that listen to us who have done some pretty amazing trips or about to start some pretty amazing trips. Um, We're also hoping to get in contact with Lucy Barnard again over the next couple of months uh, as she comes towards the end of her Peru section of her trip. So on that basis, we'll actually be publishing weekly between now and the end of the year. Uh, So you'll get an extra boost out of uh, the Australian Hiker podcast over the coming months leading into the end of December. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. That's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me.